Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Well, we are beginning something that, that I, am, I am hopeful that you will go on this journey with me. What I would like to start for the next three weeks, and then it will lead into our fall series, is I, I want to activate a new level of the Holy Spirit in our community. I want us to experience more and more of his manifestation gifts. I want us to experience more and more of his gifts of service. I want us to experience more and more of his presence, his power, his freedom, not just for our sakes, but because I believe Jesus wants to reach this whole community for Christ. And I think he wants to use us. Now, the way I want to go about it in these next few weeks is I want you to realize that the Bible invites each one of you into a conversational relationship with God. That every single one of you who has the Holy Spirit, has the very Spirit of Christ, and he is speaking to you, and he wants you to be able to hear him. So today, we're going to talk about how do I hear the voice of God in practice. Next week, we'll talk about the purpose of hearing the voice, because God always has a purpose for what he's saying to you, and he always wants to accomplish his purposes through what he gives you. And then the third week, we're going to look at, okay, what's the potential for us if we're hearing from God? So some of the potential is that we could be off. We could, we could miss it. We could screw it up. And so I'd like for us to have some really clear guidelines together of what does it mean to really have discernment that this is what God is saying and, and discern what God is not saying. So I want you to think with me about a couple of things that define a spiritual community. The first is this. The center of any spiritual community is Jesus himself. Wherever two or more are gathered in his name, he said, there I am in the midst of them. But who is this Jesus? Well, if you look back at his ministry, he gathered people. People were drawn to him. He had a, he had a gathering anointing. He had a, he had a charisma. But he also was more than just a personality. He was more than a popular figure. He was the prophet of God. So everything that, everything that he did, he did in his spirit-filled, his spirit-equipped humanity. He healed in that spirit-filled humanity. He, he spoke and taught with authority in that spirit-filled humanity. And that's the reason he can say to you, the things I do, you will do. Because he didn't do it in his divinity. He did it in his spirit-filled humanity. And now he says to us that when he went and ascended into glory, he said, I will send you another, another to come alongside you, a paraclete, another comforter, another helper. But when he said the word another, he used the specific word, another just like me. And that's the Holy Spirit. And, and what we see is that when Jesus ascended into heaven and on Pentecost, when he sent that other, 
paraclete. The community that he left behind began to do exactly what Jesus did. Because they were a charismatic community of prophets. Because they heard the word of the Lord. They spoke the word of the Lord. They heard from the Lord, so they healed the sick. They heard from the Lord, so they delivered the demons. They didn't live in programs. They didn't even have youth groups. <laughs> they had no air conditioning in their buildings or comfortable chairs. And yet thousands were added to their number weekly. Why? Because the drawing power of a prophetic community. Of people who realized if Jesus did this and he gave us his spirit. Because you see the one who fills the believer is the spirit of Christ. The same spirit that, that incarnated the very son of God who became also the son of man. He's the one who empowered him for his perfect obedience in his life. He's the one that carried him right to the cross. He's the one who raised him from the dead. And he's the one who wants to raise you out of the doldrums of your life and the mediocrity of life and to bring you into an excellent place of extraordinary fruit and gifts. Amen. But you have to want to be that community. Amen. And can I, can I get across to you? It's not Lone Ranger stuff. Lone Ranger stuff is usually strange fire stuff. I mean, you take a coal off the fire and it, it, it doesn't keep the same heat or fire. It goes out, so it has to get this fire from somewhere else. This is a community thing. It is a community that begins to say, we can hear from God. It's a community that says, when you're not hearing from God. See, because in order to hear from God, you have to be teachable. In order to hear from God, you have to be correctable. If your pride gets in the way of being corrected, you're not hearing from God at all. It's your pride speaking. And so what we need is a community in order to correct the prophetic excesses and the prophetic failures that come, on, come along. But we also have to be people who are saying, look, it is my heritage in the Holy Spirit, to have a conversational relationship with God. Amen. Think about this with me. We learned this in Jeremiah. Eugene Peterson says, there is nothing more dangerous or tragic than a refusal to listen to the word of God. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice and they will follow me. You see, in many ways, what we're talking about here is something more than just reading your Bible and following the concepts of the precepts or the teachings of the Bible. This is the very Word of God. Jesus, the Word of God incarnate, is speaking to His sheep. And He's saying, you will know My voice. See, anybody can study the Bible, but not everybody hears His voice. His sheep hear His voice, and the hearing of His voice produces an obedience response. Yeah. Now, I found a definition for what God has been doing in my life for the last 23 years. Here's what I'd like you to 
think about, about hearing God's voice. God's voice sounds like spontaneous thoughts that come to your mind as you fix your eyes on Jesus. You want to read it with me? Say it out loud with me. God's voice sounds like spontaneous thoughts that come to your mind as you fix your eyes on Jesus. Now in the scriptures, there are two words for word. One is logos and the other is rhema. Now, Jesus himself is the logos. He is the word of God incarnate. He is the eternal word of God. John 1.1 says he was with God, he is God. And nothing that was created was not, you know, everything that was created was created by him. But it also teaches us that the Bible is the Logos written. It is the eternal truth of God. It is the timeless, always right, always good, always beautiful, always true word of God. Now, without the Logos, Rhema is meaningless. Rhema is spoken word. It's a now word. It's this word to you right now. And when you get rhema word, it takes the timeless truth of God and explains your present. It takes the timeless truth of God and opens up the secrets of your heart. It takes the timeless truth of God and delivers you from your past. The rhema word is a now word. If you've ever had that sense that somebody was speaking and it was like God speaking right to you, that's a rhema word. Sometimes people will say to me, were you in our car on the way to church today? <laughs> no, I wasn't. But the Spirit who knows the deepest things of your heart knew exactly how to take the timeless word and make it a now word for you. A rhema word. Now here's the problem. I'm asking, I'm activating, I'm, I want us to become a community that is prophetic, that has charisma. But what happens when you do that is it attracts flakes. It attracts all kind of weirdos in Jesus. And people start coming up to you, I got a word for you. And I say, I got a fist for you. <laughs> and here's the reason. God has a rhema word, but you also have a rhema word. Everything you speak is a rhema word. It's your own thought for the moment. It's your own now word. You speak it, it's rhema. But it could be spoken out of your need for attention, out of your pride, out of the fact you're trying to teach people how important you are. You're trying to, you know, you're trying to... I've watched guys have rainbow words to try to catch girls. I think the Lord is saying that I'm called to be your husband. <laughs> Wasn't God. She was just pretty. But he thought he would use God to get his way. You understand, any word you speak is your ram of word. But if it's not tied 
to the timeless truth of God. And if it hadn't come from God, then it's not God's rhema word, it's yours. But it could be worse than that. Satan has a rhema word too. He's a great counterfeiter. He's a deceiver. He can, he can mimic the voice of God. If you don't know the timeless revelation of who God is, then Satan could fool you into thinking the voice you're hearing is God. And then you speak his word, and instead of it being God's word, it's a rhema word from the enemy. See, you can't just say, well, there's rhema and it's just God. No, rhema could be you. Rhema could be the enemy. Rhema could be a lot of other things. So that's why we have to tie ourselves to the timeless logos in order to know that we are confidently speaking the rhema word of God. Are you hearing me? So there's a, there's a prophetic pattern throughout the prophets. But I'm going to use the pattern that I see in, in Habakkuk chapter 2. And I'm going to give it to you in the way that you begin to understand that you can hear you yourself can hear the voice of God. You can have a conversational relationship with God. And there might be other elements, but I, I believe there are four elements. I've been doing this for about 22 years, and I, the longer I do it, the more these elements seem to be key. The first one is this. You will not clearly hear God's voice if you cannot still your own soul. So stillness is a prerequisite for hearing the voice of God. The second thing is that there must be an intentional vision on Jesus. Again, think about these two things, stillness and vision. What does the scripture say? Be still and know that I am God. That's straight, it's a straight command of the Lord. But vision, what does the scripture say? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. If you are fixing your eyes on the problem, the problem will speak to you. You must fix your eyes on Jesus so that Jesus speaks to you. Now here, here's the part that I've learned over the years is that the Lord then with your fixed eye on Jesus and really it's the eye of your heart on Jesus then spontaneous thoughts begin to come. Could be pictures, could be scriptures, could be specific thoughts. But you start to realize because you're still, because you're fixed on Jesus, you begin to realize these aren't my thoughts. This is knowledge I don't even have. Or these are things I would never have thought about this. Those spontaneous thoughts are the, God, are the conversations that God wants to have with you. Prayer is never one way. Real prayer is always a dialogue. And he wants to speak to you. Again, remember what Jesus said. My sheep hear my voice. He didn't say my sheep in the first century hear my voice. He said my sheep hear my voice. And in this, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wants you to know and hear his voice. And do you know what happens to you when you hear his voice? Everything changes. Because you're no longer trying to get God to come with you. You're responding to God. And you know what happens when you're responding to God? God takes responsibility for everything that happens. There will never be a vision that God doesn't give provision for. In every way. So look at this verse. And we're going to unpack this a little bit. Habakkuk is talking about hearing from God. 
He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower, and I will look out to see what he will say to me. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. In this passage, when he says, I'll take my stand, he's saying, I'm getting to a place of stillness. I'm getting to a place where nothing will move me but the voice of God. And then he's fixing his eyes so that he can see. It's so interesting, isn't it? We're wanting to hear from God, but you've got to see with the eyes of your heart to hear from God. And then, you know, as he gets this voice, as he gets this message, as he hears from the Lord, then the scripture says, write it down. Do you realize how stupid we all are? We hear things from God and we don't even write them down or we don't keep them anywhere or do anything with them. And later on, we're like, you know, the Lord spoke really clearly to me, but I can't remember what he said. I love it when people come up to me and say, you know, three weeks ago, that sermon you had, it was so meaningful to me. I don't remember what it was about, but it was just so meaningful. I'm like, thanks a lot. Check the live stream. <laughs> so how do we, if we're to learn to be still, then we're going to have to face the obstacles that come up in our own hearts to be still? Well, there's actually a lot of psychological evidence that can help us with this. Where God speaks to you is on the right hemisphere of your brain. God creatively and geniusly designed your brain with two hemispheres, left side, right side. Left side's very analytical, left side's very critical, comparative analysis, all these kind of things, but the right side is really the creative, intuitive part of you. And it's the place the Bible's really usually talking about when it talks about your inner man, talking about your inner person, that inner place of the spirit. This is basically the place where your center of your being or control center is. Now, there's some interesting things about the left and the right side. The left side actually forgets 90% of everything that it sees. The right side remembers everything. Now, there's a reason, there's some reasons for that, but let me illustrate that. Now, I always kind of have thought of myself as this, you know, kind of left brain sort of guy that, you know, could memorize and analyze and do all these things and pretty quick and all. And so whenever Lisa gives me a task, my pride comes up and I'm like, I can do this. So let's just say, today you need to get milk. Well, the problem is I've only, I've only calculated that task in my left brain. And so I forget 90% of the time to get the milk. <laughs> Right? But you see, she has asked me to get the milk from her right brain. She's like, my family needs it. My coffee needs it. I need it. So when I get home and I said, well, you know, I forgot the milk. She's like, how can you do that? Don't you love me? And I'm sitting there, okay, now my left brain goes, it's not enough to be left brain about the milk. My marriage could fail if I don't get the milk. 
And so now I put emotion to the milk. I put the fear of disapproval to the milk. I put the fear of that look on Lisa's face when I don't bring the milk home. And so foremost in my mind now is get the milk. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? The left and the right side have to cooperate. That's why if you just look at the scripture and you say, oh, I understand that. Oh, I get that concept. Guess what? When you turn away, you've forgotten it. It is not until you begin to say, this is my heart. This is my commitment. This is what I trust. This is what I wait. I believe this to have weight in my life. That's when you stop forgetting and it starts applying. And so, are you tracking with me in this? What happens when you finally say, I'm going to hear from God, that right side goes, finally, someone's listening to me. And it brings up all the things you've forgotten. At the, see, you're trying to read your Bible, and it's like, don't forget to get the milk. Come on. You see, I, I know, I mean, in a way, I'm just trying to personalize this, but the left side goes, ah, eh, forget, who cares? The right side goes, do you remember the last time you forgot and the look on her face? Or anything like that. And so what happens is when you finally still yourself, psychologically, you're geared that that right side of the right hemisphere of your brain starts bringing up all the things you've forgotten, all the ways you haven't been listening. So instead of fighting that and just saying, well, I'm a terrible religious person or I'm an awfully undisciplined person, get a notebook, write the list down. Guess what will happen? You'll do all those things. You'll feel like a million bucks and you'll come back to your Bible, to your prayer, to listening to God. and You'll feel like a whole person again. But if you keep denying what, the, what your right side is flowing towards you, you'll never get to the voice of God within you. What about shame and guilt? See, many of us, the minute we get into the presence of God, we start feeling, but I don't, I'm not worthy to hear his voice. I've done this. I have this secret. I have that. Look, that's why it becomes essential that you don't fix your eyes on your past. You don't fix your eyes on your present. You fix your eyes on Jesus. Let me, let me give you an example from my life. We lived in Mexico City. We were missionaries. I drove a U.S. car. Everywhere I went, the Mexican police exact knew that I was not a Mexican. So they stopped me all the time. $150 they asked every time they stopped me. I just got fed up with it. I was so tired of it because I was just getting harassed all over the city. I went to my friend who was pretty high up in the government. I said, is there anything I can do? He said, here's my card. And so the next time I got stopped, and it was the next day I got stopped, and the guy came up, going to ask for $150. I said, does this card have any meaning to you? I looked at the card. He waved me on. I never got stopped again. You have a card. It's Jesus' card. And they come and they say, shame. Yep, you're right. I have all kind of shame. But Jesus paid it all for me. You have a card. Every time they say, but you're guilty, you're unworthy, you said, 
Yeah, but there's therefore now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's my Jesus card. And you see, the reason I'm telling you it in the story is because I think you got to have a picture in your mind where you go, hey, wait a minute. Mike said I could pull out the card. <laughs> pull out the card. And when you do, your, your mind will relate to this in such a way that you'll begin to realize the victory that you have. Now, if you stay oppressed in that, then it's a more serious issue and you need deliverance. And you will not be able to do it by yourself. You'll need other people who are good at this to help you walk through it. Because, friends, the safest place on earth should be your mind. Your mind should be the place that can still at any moment. Your mind should be the place in which Jesus can speak to you in every moment. God is always speaking, but we're not always tuned in. Are you hearing me? So fixing our eyes on Jesus then, and I gave you that picture of the card. The reason I did that is because the scriptures teach us to see him, to picture him, to not just be left-brain Christians who analyze and memorize, but to actually be right-brain, intuitive, live in really this moment with Jesus. Matter of fact, an element of true faith is spontaneity being able to respond in the moment to what God is saying to you. So it has to come from the inner life. So the Bible has always been going after your heart, going after your inner life, which means it's been going after the right side of your brain. Think about Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is one of the most beloved psalms of all time, but it's not a concept. It's not a philosophy. It's not moral teaching. It's a picture. The Lord is my so what it's saying there is when you need to fix your eyes on Jesus, what you can do is fix your eyes on his revelation of himself. When I say fix your eyes on the Lord as your shepherd, you'll get a picture. If I say to you, you know, you're struggling with physical healing, then what you should do is remember that the Lord revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. And you go, Lord, I am picturing you right now as my healer. When you're going through times of necessity, the Lord revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is my provider. So you begin to picture the Lord as the provider, the Lord as the healer. If you're facing challenges, he said, I am Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my victory. Instead of trying to will yourself to not be afraid, instead, you allow yourself to picture him as he's revealed himself to you. And then the pictures start coming. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, doesn't that make a picture? I will fear no evils. Why am I not fearing? Because I'm picturing that as I walk through that valley, the shepherd is leading me. And then when I face my enemies, I remember the picture. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So even though I might be surrounded by enemies, there's a table right in the midst being prepared for me in their presence. And then he's going to anoint my head with oil and my cup is going to overflow. You understand? None of that is left brain. All of that is right brain. Jesus himself, when he taught, he didn't teach just in principles and morality and behavior. He taught in parables, every one of them a picture 
The kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. The kingdom of God is like this and like that. Even when he said certain things, he said, blessed are the meek, you get a picture. Blessed are the pure in heart, a picture. See, the Lord has always been going after your heart, not just your analytical, critical ability. Now, please don't ever check that at the door because whatever God does, Satan counterfeits. And so you have to have that left side to say, does this line up with the word of God? I mean, think about how many people, I can tell you how many people I've met who said to me, God told me to marry this, this man. And the man's not a Christian, not a believer, anything else. I'm like, no, he didn't. His word told you not to be unequally yoked. Therefore, he would not have given you a rhema word to be unequally yoked. So guess what? That was your word. And now you're living with him. You did this. Quit blaming God. Now ask him to heal this. Because you're a mess. I mean, so many people blame, why didn't he stop me? Why did he tell me? It's right there in his word. You'd ignored it to your own detriment. And don't use a contradictory word and think it was God. God, there is no darkness in God. There is no shadow in God. He is true from start to finish. He does not trick you. But here's the thing. The promise of Jesus, of his Holy Spirit in every believer is this. Out of your innermost being, out of your belly, will flow rivers of living water. You were made to flow. And what I mean by that is your, your life isn't supposed to be this constant striving, this constant sense of insecurity and lack of confidence. You are meant to know the flow of the Holy Spirit so that you know how to put up your sail instead of trying to row against the current. You're not a slave under the deck rowing to the beat of some demonic drum. You are on the ship of the greatest captain ever, and the wind is behind you. But you've got to learn how to let that flow. Now, the inner life has to be tuned into. And what happens with a lot of us is we're really afraid of this. And what you ha I believe you have to learn not to be so afraid of your negative emotions. What happens with a lot of Christians is they say, well, I shouldn't be angry. So they play like they're not angry, but they really are angry. Or they play like they're not depressed. Or they play like, you know, they're not sexually immoral or they're not lustful or whatever it might be. Here's the thing. Whatever is flowing out of you is in you. And it has to be looked at. And it has to be asked, why is this flowing out of me? So when I am angry, I don't go, oh, Mike, you shouldn't be angry. I go, Mike, what is out of alignment inside of you that is now resulting in a flow of anger from you? Wow, I should have, I should have written that one down. Because <laughs> I won't remember that for the third time. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Got my own words back to me there. I said we were stupid. You, instead, of, instead of saying, this isn't me, you look and say, why is this flowing from me? Because you will never get healed of things you won't reveal. You, when you start letting, you start saying, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be flowing with living water, but what's coming out of me isn't living water, then I got to know what's damming up the living water. So I tune in. And one of the ways that uh, I do is expressed by this guy by the name of Mark Verkler, who's helpful to me in this. He says, when I wake up in the morning, I tune to, the f- to flow and release the creative flow from my spirit. My heart downloads the revelation it received during the night. When the flow is done, my devotional time is over, and I go on with other activities of the day, knowing that I will repeat the same steps each day until full revelation, mastery, and true knowledge on the topic are mine. One of the things that, that I've added to my daily ritual is the writing. Because I'm starting to realize that what God does is every day he's giving me pieces, but he doesn't give me the whole thing. And so he's wooing me with, with some of what I need. So that I'll come back tomorrow to get some more and some more and some more. And so a lot of the things that are really big in my life He doesn't give it to me all at once, but he unpacks it. He unfolds it for me. And it becomes part of our heart connection to each other. And so even in the night, at times, I've I've decided that I'll have a notebook by my bed so that as I get up in the morning, things that he has given to me in the night, I I can begin to process these things. As a matter of fact, you know, I began to realize that there are all these places that are much easier to get still in. Like, for example, for many of us, a shower is the only safe place in the whole house. You know? And so you get in the shower, and you can just really, you can still yourself, and the vision of the Lord comes, and you can just hear from Him. Others of us find our car and car rides to be some of the most effective times to be able to hear our hearts flow and you begin to say, okay, why is that in me? Is this of the Lord? Is this not? And you begin to let it bubble up. You begin to let it spring up. Why am I saying that? Well, I'm saying that because that's what the prophetic is in Hebrew. It's one of the prophetic words is that it will spring up. It will flow in you. It will bubble up in you. This is what God has always wanted to do. The spirit that you have is the spirit of prophecy. That's who he is. It's not like the gift that is given to just one specific group of people. You didn't get half the Holy Spirit. You got the Holy, Holy Spirit. And and he wants to do what he does. And the only one seeming to limit that is you. Tune in to what's flowing in your heart. Don't be afraid of it. You got the Jesus card. Okay. Are you hearing me in this? Well, this is not an impractical thing, but it is something you have to begin to say, I'll do it each day. And part of what really helps in this is that when you're practicing this kind of purposeful stillness. So I began to review what Habakkuk 2 said. He says, I will stand on my guard. 
I will station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. And the Lord answered, and, and he said, record the vision. I began to realize that many pieces of what the Lord wants to say to me, I, I have to let days unfold. Not just, he doesn't do it all at once, but I let days unfold. Now, the reason this is so important that you get this is that many of us find ourselves coming to crisis moments and we haven't practiced. We haven't prepared our hearts to get still. And you see, if it is the pain speaking to you, you won't hear Jesus. There are people often who want million-dollar answers but have only worked to nickel prayers. But when the crisis comes and you've been faithful night after night, then the crisis will seem like just one more day. I found this to be true with Lisa's cancer. See, I practice this every day. Every morning when I wake up, many times I hear from many of you, I actually, often the flow is about the entire church, what God is doing, what God is saying, the different ones in trouble. But for that day, it was all about Lisa. And I remember, I never, I've never seen her in so much pain for six hours. She just could not, there was no relief of the pain. And then the diagnosis came, and they said she has cancer. She has this massive tumor. And finally, after six hours, they were able to give her something for the pain, and she was resting. And I excused myself, and I went out in the hall, and I can tell you, I, I, was, um, I was just weeping. But in my tears, I just said, Lord, I need to hear from you. And it was so powerful because he didn't delay. Because, you know... I've been coming to him every day to hear from him. His voice wasn't a stranger's voice. It was a conversation with my friend. And he said, I got this. Now, he didn't do King James with me. He did Mike with me. He spoke the way I speak. He spoke Rhema straight from his Logos. And you know what? He's given me so many words since then, and every single of those words was just an expansion on and, and an amplification of that first thing where he says, I've got this. You understand what I'm saying? I, I am not saying wait to the crisis. Amen. I am saying start now. Amen. You see, you need Jesus to speak to you. You don't need the pain to speak to you. You need Jesus to speak to you, not the circumstances. Think about this with you. Habakkuk says, I will stand on my guard post. Will you do that? The first key to hearing God's voice is to go to a quiet place, still our thoughts and our emotions. Psalm 46.10 encourages us. You know this one. Be still. Cease striving. Know that he is God. In Psalm 37.7 we are called to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a deep knower in your spirit. There is a sense of knowing that you can develop, that you can get away all the other noises, and you can know that you know it. I call it the vault in my soul, the place where I have put the things that I am committed to, that I trust, that I believe, that I know. 
the knower. Out of that place, then other knowings can come. Things that God wants you to know, but, but it's where you wait patiently for him. You believe him. You believe these spontaneous thoughts that he's giving to your knower is God, not you, not anybody else. Because God wants you to know him. He's done everything so that you can know him. There's a deep inner knowing in our spirits that each of us can experience when we quiet our flesh and our minds. I'm going to talk more about this next week, but I I want you to understand something. If you start knowing the voice of God, you start having a conversational relationship with God, he will begin to speak to you about how to truly help other people. Oftentimes I go to restaurants and I'm like, God, don't show me anything about the waiter, please. I just want to, I just want to eat, Lord. And they'll come up, I go, oh, you did it again. And I'll, I'll know they're going through something or I'll feel their pain or whatever it is. And I know that it's for me to speak up and to say, God sees you, God knows you, and I'd like to pray for you. And I've watched when I've said, you're in pain, aren't you? And tears just start falling. Or I've watched as their burden gets lifted. Now, I don't interrupt them from their work. I don't say to their manager, just stay back. I'm going to pray and deliver them (laughs) from demons right now. I mean, I try to be socially, you know, acceptable in this. But I'm saying what happens is God cares about your neighbors. He cares about the people who serve you. He cares about the people you work with. He cares for every one of them. If you start being a place of prophetic intersection, then he will speak his truth and his love and his rainbow word for friends, for neighbors. And you know what the word of God can do? It can change everything in a moment. And in doing so, we will become a prophetic community that God brings the kingdom through. Will you stand with me? Would you close your eyes as you stand? Would you do this? Would you... I'm going to ask you to use your four fingers, whichever hand you want to use, it doesn't matter. But finger number one, would you say this with me? Stillness. I'm asking you today to be still. Whether it's in your shower, your car, if it's on a walk, be still. See what flows out when you're still. If it's a list you need to write down, write it down. If it's shame, then pull out the Jesus card. But be still. Second finger, fix your eyes on Jesus. Which means you focus. Whatever it is that you need to focus on from his revelation. It could be my shepherd, my provider, my victory, my healer. Whatever it is, focus on Jesus. He's the one that's committed to carry you all the way through. Then the third one, spontaneous thoughts. We're going to talk about other ways that God speaks, but what I want you to open up to is that he wants to speak to you. And he uses thoughts, bringing thoughts, you know, having you think thoughts. And when they're God, you'll, they're spontaneous. And then I'm going to ask you to do the fourth thing. Write down the vision. Don't lose the things that God's saying to you. 
And remember this, the first part of it might just be a piece. So write it down until you get the whole vision. Habakkuk said, wait for it. It will not delay. So as we close, I'm going to say this. I'm going to pray this over you. If you're an extrovert, you will speak rhema, whether it's God, the devil, or you. I'm praying today that you will realize you're stupid. And you need discernment. If your tendency is to speak before you think, you need discernment. Because you don't need to speak one damaging word. Prophetic edifies. It builds up. It encourages. Just getting stuff off your chest is not prophetic. It's pathetic. If you're an extrovert, you need discernment. But if you're an introvert, see, the extrovert thinks, of course God is speaking through me. The introvert thinks, God can never use me or speak through me. So the introvert needs boldness. The spirit of boldness. And that's what the Holy Spirit gives all through the book of Acts. It wasn't just extroverts. It was introverts who were emboldened by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're an extrovert, would you receive this? In the name of the Lord Jesus, I bless you with discernment. I bless you to know and distinguish the spirits, to be able to know the timeless word of God so that you won't speak your own rhema or the demon's rhema. To the introverts in this room, I bless you with boldness in the Holy Spirit to recognize you're not speaking for you. You're speaking, and the appeal is Jesus making his appeal through you. You're just being his faithful servant. Boldness in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.